we're in the middle of life of Christ right now, and this week we looked at one of the most challenging topics, the divine depths of, of God's mercy. Uh, God's mercy. Uh, and the thing that's so challenging about this topic, you would think mercy would be an easy topic to deal with, because mercy is like a good thing, right? Like God has great mercy on us, and it is an amazing thing, but it's also one of the things that makes Christianity so offensive. It's one of the things that, that makes us wrestle with the gospel is God's mercy. And we looked at a parable all week long that, that came out a lot in our morning videos of Life of Christ uh, on the, the, the vineyard and the master and all of these vineyard workers. And it's an offensive parable because you read the parable and you're like, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. This is confusing. Why, why would the master do that? You see, what happens in the story, if you've read it in Matthew 20, is a master goes out, and early in the morning, he sees some guys that want to work, they need a job, and so he gives them all a job, and he agrees to pay them a denarius, which is one day's wage, if they would work all day long in the hot sun. And then about nine in the morning, he goes out, and he finds some other workers, and he says something different to them. The, the very first group, early in the morning, he agrees to pay them a denarius, a day's wage. The other workers, he simply says, I'll pay you whatever is right. Whatever is right is what I'll pay. And they agree to go work. And then at 12 o'clock, he goes out and he sees some more people and he hires them to go into his fields. And then at three o'clock, he goes out and he sees even more people and he hires them to go into his fields. And then at five o'clock, there's an hour left of sunlight. He goes out and he finds even more, and he hires them to go and work in his fields, and he says, listen, I'll pay you whatever is right. And so at the end of the day, he goes to settle accounts, and he has an accountant come out, and he begins to pay everybody their wage, and he starts with the people who only work for an hour to two. They came in at five o'clock, and he pays them first, and he works his way down to the people who worked all day. The guys who came in at five o'clock he decides to give each of them a denarius, an entire day's wage, even though they only work an hour. He gives them a denarius. So the guys who worked early in the morning are thinking to themselves, this is great. If he pays them a denarius and they only worked an hour, surely we're going to get paid way more than a denarius because we sweat all day long in the hot sun for the master. Yet when he finally gets to the guys who worked all day long, he pays them a denarius and they're offended. They're offended. They're upset. This isn't fair. How, how could you do this to us? We worked all day long in the sun. These guys came in at the very last hour, and you're going to give them the same as us, even though we worked harder and we worked longer? And the master answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage, I'm paying you what you agreed. You agreed for a denarius. Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Is it against the law God is saying that I do what I want with my mercy? Why are you so upset that I give my mercy freely to people that you think don't deserve it when you deserve so much more? And again, this is why the gospel gets very offensive. You know what this parable really represents is the story of Easter. 
It's, it's the message of Easter. And what I want to look at today is I want to look at the truth about God's mercy, because that's the story of Easter, is God's mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. That's what mercy is. Not get like I deserve to be punished for my past. Mercy says God is not going to give me what I deserve. That's the story of Easter. What is Easter all about? Us not getting what we deserve. Why? Because Jesus got what we deserved. Jesus was totally innocent. He had never sinned before. And yet, because of God's mercy, we who should have died on a cross, we who should have been punished for our sin, the story of Easter says God had mercy on us, and instead of punishing us for our sin, punished his son. We didn't get what we deserved. And Jesus didn't get what he deserved. Jesus did not deserve to be hung on a cross. Jesus did not deserve to be whipped and beaten and pierced. And yet Jesus received something he didn't deserve so that you and I could receive what we did not deserve. And and I'm telling you, I really believe this Easter is going to be one of the most important Easter's of our lifetime because last Easter was a a once-in-a-lifetime Easter. Think about it. What did COVID do last Easter? The church worldwide was closed on Easter. Have we ever had an Easter like last year? Where the doors of the church were closed on Easter Sunday. I believe with all my heart, as a result of last Easter, God wants to do something incredible this Easter. And I'm asking you to be a part of it. I'm asking you to begin to pray about who you're going to invite this Easter and who you want to bring, where you want them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We've got cards available at the hub for you to use to invite people. And let's let God make this the most significant Easter of our lifetime because last year's Easter was one paralleled in our lifetime for the doors of the church to be closed. Now, why do we celebrate Easter? What is this truth? about God's mercy. Paul explains it. If you want to know what that parable was all about, the parable of of guys who only work one hour getting paid the very same as people who worked all day long, Paul kind of breaks out the theology of it in Colossians 2. And I want to take you through this. And this is, you know, anytime you say the word theology, people like start to freak out. Oh, that sounds very deep, very heady. No, no, no. Theology is the study of God. That's all it is. We study God every time we open the Bible. The study of God does not have to be complex and difficult. It actually is very, very simple to understand who God is. That's what the parables are all about. Here's the way Paul puts it in Colossians 2. You were dead in sin. This is the story of Easter. You were dead in sin, and your sinful desires, your desire for all those sinful things were not yet cut away. What that simply means is this is before you were a Christian before you became a believer, before you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you were dead in your sin. Then he gave you a share in the very life of Christ. It's what Easter is all about. For he forgave all your sins. All of your sins were forgiven and blotted out the charges proved against you. Look at that word proved. Not just charges against you, but they were proved. You were guilty. It's not like you were you are, you are falsely accused. You are guilty. They were proved. There were charges that were proven against you. Your past sin, your past wrongdoing. The list of commandments that you had not obeyed, and you've been forgiven. It's God's mercy. 
You were forgiven. He took this list of sins, everything that you did wrong, every evil thought, every evil act of disobedience throughout your entire life, and he destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Jesus paid for it. Goes on to say, in this way. In what way? In the way that you couldn't save yourself. In the way that all of your sin was forgiven, not because you deserved it, not because you were good, but because it was nailed to the cross of Christ. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. There's no more accusation against you. Paul goes on in Romans to say there is no condemnation. So for those of you living in guilt, for those of you living in shame because of things that you regret and things that you've done in your past, you need to know today God took away Satan's power to do it. Now, Satan will try to get you to do it, but he doesn't have the power to accuse you anymore. All he can do is lie to you and say you're guilty and you're shamed and God hasn't for you. And then you beat yourself up, but you need to know God took his power away. He, has, he doesn't have the ability to accuse you. God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins, everything you did wrong, taken away. This is why as Christians, we don't celebrate Easter once a year. We celebrate Easter every day. Every day we celebrate that we're forgiven. Every day we celebrate that the cross of Jesus Christ triumphs. And unfortunately, if you look in Christianity today, there's still a lot of people beating themselves up. Beating themselves up over their past. Living in shame, living in guilt, living in regret. You need to hear me clearly. Jesus was brutally beaten for your past so that you don't have to beat yourself up anymore. Jesus was punished for your sins so that you don't have to punish yourself anymore. That's God's mercy. Paul goes on in Galatians 6. He says, those teachers of yours are trying to convince you to be circumcised. Now, if you're new to Christianity... There was really good news that happened for us in the book of Acts. You see, back in the book of Acts, there was this debate going on in Christianity that to become a Christian, it wasn't enough to believe in what Jesus did on the cross. You had to actually go through a medical procedure as a man to become a Christian. How many of you are glad we got rid of the medical procedure to be a Christian? Like we would have a really small new believers class. There wouldn't be a lot of men joining the church anymore if we still had the medical procedure as a requirement to become a Christian. Now, what this means, this circumcision, what it represents to us today is trying to save yourself through your effort. That what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough for you. Like you have to add to it because his death wasn't big enough for your sin. You, it's Jesus plus you being a good person. It's Jesus plus you reading the Bible enough. Jesus plus you praying enough. Jesus plus you being a, a very obedient Christian. And then you're saved. And that's what these false teachers were trying to communicate, that Jesus isn't enough. Like You have to add to the equation. And it says they're doing it for just one reason. So why are they doing it? What is this one reason that these false teachers are teaching this? So that they can be popular. Popular and avoid the persecution they would get if they admitted that the cross of Christ alone can save what this is telling us is God's mercy is offensive. Because God's mercy says there's nothing you can do to save yourself. It's the cross and the cross alone. And that's offensive to the human heart. 
You see, we love to bag on religion. We love to criticize religion. But if all of us were very, very honest today, in our heart, we naturally gravitate towards religion. Why? Because we all want a scorecard. We want to know that we're doing our part. We want to know that we're putting in the work. We want to know that, that we're, we're at least helping out. Because something being completely free, especially something as big as our salvation, is offensive. Like, I at least need to know that I'm, I'm contributing. I at least need to know that I'm doing something. And so religion naturally clings to the human heart. Now, we don't like the fruit of religion, and that's why we criticize it. We don't like what religion produces, and that's why we, we talk bad about it. But if we were all honest inside, every, including myself, every one of us gravitates towards religion. You see, when we preach religion, we're very popular. You can build a great church telling people it's all about them. You need to work hard. You need to pray more. You need to do more. You need to serve more. There's a popularity in that, but when you preach grace... When you preach that Jesus did it all and there's nothing you can do to help, get persecuted for that. Just see some of the letters I get every once in a while from people who are offended at the message of grace. He goes on to say, and even those teachers who submit to circumcision don't try to keep the other Jewish laws. So, so in actuality, they're just picking and choosing what they follow. But they want you to be circumcised, so they want you to add things to the cross in order that they can boast that you're their disciples. As for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything, that I should brag about, boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, look what the cross produces in your life. Because of the cross, my interest... My desire, my hunger, my appetite, and all the attractive things of this world was killed long ago. You see, Christianity is not about behavior modification, it's heart transformation. The goal of Christianity is not to say no to sin. The goal of Christianity is when you don't have an appetite for sin. When you struggle with any type of addiction, pornography, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, the goal of Christianity is not for you to be able to say no to that addiction. The goal of Christianity is for you to lose your interest in it, lose your appetite in it, lose your desire for it, and that only happens through the cross. You see, the more you think Christianity is about you being a good person and trying really hard, the more your hunger for that addiction or whatever issue it is in your life will grow, the more you realize it's all the cross. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can add to it. It's what Jesus did on my behalf. All of a sudden, what that cross produces in my life is my passion, my interest, my hunger, my desire for all of those unhealthy, negative things in life. All that sin is killed. It's killed. I, I lose the hunger and the world's interest in me is also long dead. It doesn't make any difference now whether we have been circumcised or not. It doesn't make any difference how good of a Christian you are, how well you obey, how much you read the Bible, how, how long you pray. What counts is whether we have really been changed into new and different people. And that's the cross and the cross alone. And then look at this last verse here. May God's mercy and peace be upon all of you who live by this principle. What principle? The principle that you can't save yourself. 
the principle that there's nothing you can do to change your position. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's what the cross has done on your behalf. It's grace. When you live by this principle, your Christian life reflects mercy and peace. It's one of the most beautiful experiences that you can understand as a follower of Jesus. You see, the false teachers, what they were teaching is that you need to believe in Jesus. They had no problem with believing in Jesus. But what they said, that wasn't enough. You need to believe in Jesus, and then you need to obey Christianity, and then you're saved. Then you're born again. What Paul was teaching is, no, you believe in Jesus, then you're saved, period. And after experiencing the power of the cross in your life, now you have the power to obey. Grace supernaturally enables you. You see, the teachers were boast in the cross and yourself, boast in the cross and your ability. Paul is boast only in the cross. It's the cross and the cross alone. Paul is saying, look, the day I realize it's the cross, it's the cross of Jesus Christ, the day it became the governing principle of my life, the day I really got a hold of that, it changed everything. It revolutionized my relationship with the world. Look at it again. Because of that cross, because of the cross, the cross of Jesus, my interest in all the things that I used to love, all, all that sin I used to be addicted to, all that desire I had in the things of the world, all, all of that stuff has died inside of me. I no longer have an appetite for it. Why? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. It's not my ability to be a really good Christian. It's the cross. I didn't have the ability to quit. I didn't have the ability to walk away from that addiction. It was the power of grace. It was the cross of Jesus that my appetite, my interests, my desires transformed. So what we're going to look at today is three things. As we understand the truth about God's mercy, first we need to look at the offensiveness of the cross. The cross is offensive. It's offensive. Then we're going to look at our boasting in the cross. And then finally, we're going to look at the freedom that comes through the cross. Let's look at this first thing, the offensiveness of the cross. Why is God's mercy offensive? Why is the gospel offensive? Why, why would we say the cross is offensive? The very same reason why in the parable, the guys who got paid an hour, we, that, that offends us. If you are one of the people who worked all day long in the hot sun, and the master paid you the same as the lazy guy who came in in the very last hour, you would be offended. And this is why the gospel is offensive. This is why we struggle with God's mercy and the cross. Galatians 5, earlier Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, if I'm still preaching self-effort, trying to save yourself, trying to add to the equation, trying to be really, really good, why am I still being persecuted? Why are they? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. You see, self-effort, there's nothing offensive about self-effort. There's nothing offensive about saying, if you're really, really good, God will bless you. That's not offensive at all. What's offensive is to say, God will bless you when you're not really, really good. That's offensive. Paul's saying, listen, if I was still preaching, you got to be really, really good, why am I being persecuted? No, no, no. If I did that, the offense of the cross would be abolished. You see, the reason the false teachers were trying to add to the gospel it's because they didn't want to offend people. They wanted to be popular. So what is the offense? I love what Tim Keller said, one of my favorite pastors. He said, the preaching of the gospel is terribly offensive to the human heart. Think about that for a moment. People find it insulting 
to be told that they are too weak and sinful to do anything to contribute to their salvation. If you chewed on that long enough, you'd find it to be true. The gospel is offensive to liberals who charge that the gospel is intolerant and narrow-minded because it states the only way to be saved is through the cross. So liberals don't like the gospel. The gospel is offensive to conservatives because it states that without the cross, the good and moral people like we consider ourselves to be are as in much trouble as the bad people. I mean, the gospel is offensive whether you're a liberal or a conservative. Ultimately, the gospel is offensive because the cross stands against all schemes of self-salvation. The world appreciates religion and morality in general. Again, in our heart, we like religion. We don't like the fruit of it, but our hearts gravitate. The world thinks that moral religion is a good thing for society, but the world is offended by the cross. So people who love the cross, people who preach grace, are persecuted. Because the cross, by nature, is offensive. And when, and when we can only grasp its sweetness is after we first wrestle with the offense. So let me put it like this. If somebody understands the cross, if you truly understand the message of the gospel, it'll either be the greatest thing that you've ever come to terms with, the greatest news, good news that you've ever heard, and it's going to create incredible joy inside of your heart, or it's going to be absolutely repulsive and offensive. I want you to ask yourself the question right now. Is the gospel the most exciting thing that you know, or is it the most offensive thing that you know? And if it's neither one of those, I would have to challenge you to say you're probably not looking at it clearly. You're probably not being honest with yourself about what the gospel is. You've probably heard it so much that it's lost its impact and meaning in your life. Because to look at the gospel with clear eyes, it's either going to be the most exciting thing you've ever heard or the most offensive thing you've ever heard. How can these guys who've only worked an hour get paid the same as those of us who've worked all day long? You see, the cross, the reason it's so offensive is the cross teaches us that our sins are not just bad, but our sins were so bad that they created a problem for God Almighty. That my sin and your sin was so bad that Peter says, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, that you were able to go to heaven, but with the precious blood of Christ. You see, none of us really want to believe that's true. We don't mind believing that Jesus had to die for the world. We really don't mind that. Where we struggle is thinking that Jesus had to die for me. Like, I don't mind believing Jesus went to a cross. What offends me, what hurts me, what bothers me is to think that it was my sin. It was so bad he had to do it. Like, I understand other people's sin. Now, that was pretty bad. But to really believe my sin was bad enough for him to go to the cross, that what I did was evil enough for him to have to go to a cross, that's why this is offensive. See, the cross shows us that forgiveness is never easy. Forgiveness is expensive. It costs. It may have been freely given to you, but it wasn't free. It costs Jesus. Nobody will ever forgive a sin without somebody having to pay for it. 
Let me give you the smallest example of this. I want you to imagine that you're going to the airport and the forecast is rain and you run into me before you head to the airport and you say, hey, do you have an umbrella I can borrow? And I've got an umbrella. And I say, sure, you can take my umbrella. And it's a $5 umbrella. It's a cheap umbrella. It's not a big deal. But I'll let you take my umbrella on a trip. So you go on this trip and you use the umbrella and it comes in very handy because it's raining and you're very grateful. You're flying home and you forget it at the airport. You lose my umbrella. My $5 umbrella, you lose it. And you feel really bad and you see me and say, man, I, I feel so bad. I lost your umbrella at the airport. I'll get you another one. No, 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 don't worry about it. It's just, it's just, it's just a $5. Don't worry about it. I, I got you. Don't worry about it. Now, let me ask you a question. Okay, you sinned against me. You lost my umbrella. I forgave your sin. I'm not making you pay for it. I'm not making you buy me a new one. Was the forgiveness free? No. It cost me. I have to absorb the cost of your sin. I either have to live my life now without a $5 umbrella, or I've got to go buy another $5 umbrella. But either way, it costs me. I absorb the consequence of your sin. You see, forgiveness can't be free. Why can't God just forgive us? Why did Jesus have to die? Because forgiveness can't be free. Somebody has to absorb the consequence of the sin. Sin isn't free. Debt has to be paid. And what's so offensive about this is it was a capital offense. Why did Jesus have to die? Why, why can't God just let us off the hook? Think about a righteous judge. If you were a righteous judge and your son killed somebody on a DUI, and for whatever reason your son was standing in your court, as a, as a judge you have the legal ability to acquit him. But you would have to forsake your righteousness to do it. We have a righteous judge. God cannot forsake his righteousness, but he loved you and I so much that he couldn't punish us. So he sent his son Jesus, punished him for the sin that we deserve. You see, you can't die for nothing. See, here's the other question people wrestle with in Christianity. I'm asked this a lot as a pastor. What about all the good people out there? Have you ever thought about that? What about all the good people? There's good Muslims. There's good Hindus. There's good atheists. What about all the good people? You're telling me that all these good people have never hurt anyone, never done anything wrong, they're going to hell without Jesus? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Do you see why Christianity is so offensive? There's one way to the Father, Jesus Christ, His Son. Your goodness cannot save you. If God let every good person into heaven, it would be cruel and it would be sadistic to his son, Jesus. Because what it says is Jesus was tortured and killed for nothing. Think about it like this. We're driving down the freeway. There's four of us in the car, and I'm sitting in the back seat with you guys. We're on a busy freeway, and I'm in the car, and I'm saying, man, I love you guys so much. You, you, don't, you don't even know how much I love you. I wish I could express to you the depths of how much I cared. You know what? I'm going to prove to you how much I love you. And I jump out of the car on a freeway and get crushed by a semi-truck and die. How many of you would feel loved? Like, man, he really loved us. Look at that. He died for us. No, you'd think I was an idiot. Because I died for nothing. There was no purpose in my death. But imagine we get a wreck on that freeway. 
and you're trapped in the car, and there's a gas leak, and there's a fire, and I rush into that car, and I cut the seatbelt, and I pull you out of the car, and I get you to safety, and yet I'm still in the car, and the car explodes, and I die. Now do you feel loved? You see, there was a purpose in my death. I died to save you. See, if I die, and there's no purpose in it, if I die, and nobody's saved, what good is my death? See, if God lets just anybody into heaven because they're good, what did Jesus die for? Jesus is the idiot on the freeway jumping out of a car to prove his love for no reason. It doesn't make any sense. He died to save us, and this is the offense of Christianity. This is the offense of God's mercy. But it leads us to the beauty. The second part is our boasting in the cross. Remember, Paul says, As for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross. It's all the cross. Remember when we did the book of James last year? We, we looked at the word boast. The word boast in that ancient culture, what it was is what you put your confidence in. This is how you route like those epic war movies where the general is giving that speech and they all get excited and they rush into battle. That was a boast. It was creating confidence, creating passion, motivation. What are you boasting in? Are you boasting... Is your boasting and your ability to be a really good Christian? Man, look how much I pray. God obviously loves me. I read my Bible more than anybody. I obey perfectly. I never sin. Is your boast and your ability to be a good Christian, or is your boast in the cross? And nothing but the cross. Paul says in Romans 10, they don't understand God's way. If you're beating yourself up, if you're living in guilt, if, if, if you have shame, hanging over your life because of things that you regret, the reason is you don't understand God's way of making people right with Himself. You don't have to live in guilt. You don't have to beat yourself up anymore. You don't have to live under that shame. See, what's happening is you're refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. So instead of clinging to God's way, which is the cross, boasting nothing but the cross, they're clinging to their own way of trying to be a really good Christian. I love what Paul says in Colossians 2. He says, just as, just as you receive Christ as Lord. How did you receive Christ as Lord? Grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't deserve it. It was his grace and his mercy. Just as you received it, continue to live in him. This means grace is not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. You never stop living under God's grace. It's never, it'll never not be the cross. It'll never not be God's mercy. It'll never be about you. It'll always be about Jesus. And I love where it says, in Him, not for Him. It doesn't say to continue to live for Him, continue to live in Him. There's a big difference. Remember Mary and Martha, Jesus is at their house. Martha is working for Jesus. She's cooking dinner for Jesus. She's cleaning the house for Jesus. Mary's sitting at his feet, and Jesus said she chose the better part. So just as you received it, which was by grace, continue to live the Christian life the way you received it. And don't change. Don't change. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to work for it. Don't try to pay it back. Don't try to pay it off. Just as you received it, continue to live in it. And then here's the result. When you learn to boast in nothing but the cross, because that's what that means. I'm boasting in the cross. I'm bo the way I received it was the cross, and the way I'm going to live it is the cross. 
When you boast in the cross, what begins to happen is you find freedom through the cross. You want freedom in your Christian life? You want freedom from sin, freedom from addiction, freedom from bad habits, freedom from anxiety, freedom from depression, freedom from anything that's holding you back as a Christian. You want freedom? It's through the cross. You see, it's the grace that spiritually energizes us to live the life we were created to live. Let's go back to Galatians 6. May God's mercy and peace. Does that characterize your life? When you look at your Christian life, is it filled with peace? Or is there a lot of confusion? Is there a lot of doubt? Is there a lot of insecurity? Is, there a lot of, is it just filled with peace? Is it filled with mercy? Living a life where you, you're not beating yourself up because you've received God's mercy. You're not living in shame or guilt. Is your Christian life filled with peace and filled with mercy? That's available to everybody who lives by this principle. What principle? The principle that it's the cross and nothing but the cross. It's Jesus and nothing but Jesus. It's his grace. It's not my effort. It's not my ability. You see, for most of my Christian life, I had the opposite of peace and mercy. Because for most of my Christian life, I was living under the teacher's religion. I didn't know the cross was good enough for me. I know Jesus died for me, but I thought I still had to add to it because of my past, because of my sin, because of my brokenness. I felt like, like I had to at least pay it back. And as a result, I, had nothing, I didn't have any peace and I didn't have any mercy. I lived in brokenness. I lived in pain. And I struggled as a Christian. I struggled with addiction. I struggled with issues. I had all sorts of hangups in my life because I wasn't living by the principle of the cross. I was living by Christian religion. And there's a big difference. If you understand the cross, the teaching of the cross, it revolutionizes your life. It brings you into peace and mercy. That's what this Easter season is all about. Let me show you how the cross works in your life. If you want freedom, you want to live a Christian life that is just free, that is free, where you're living passionately for God, you're not struggling with every addiction and every issue and every depression and every... Let me illustrate it like this. There's two trapeze artists. You know those guys that, they're crazy. They walk those ropes over... Grand Canyons and cliffs and everything else. I want you to think about two trapeze artists at the circus. One of them, he gets up to perform, and, and the circus manager comes to him before the performance and says, hey, by the way, there's no safety net tonight. So don't mess up, because if you fall, you're going to die. Good luck. No safety net. Second trapeze artist, and he's in the circus across town. They, they run things a little bit better. Circus manager comes to him and says, hey, we tested everything, safety net's up, it's good to go, you're going to be fine, give it your best, but if you fall, you know what, you're going to be okay. Good luck. Which trapeze artist do you feel like is going to perform with more freedom? Which one will take bigger risk? Which one is going to enjoy it more? The one without the safety net or the one with the safety net? Do you realize you have a safety net called the cross? You have a safety net called grace. God is not waiting to catch you doing something wrong. God is not looking for you to mess up. God is full of mercy, full of forgiveness. And this, again, is why it's offensive, because we don't always deserve it. But we have this safety net called grace where we can live for Jesus passionately, give our all to Him passionately, and we don't have to worry about falling because His grace will catch us every step of the way. 
It produces freedom to live the life that you were created to live. I don't have to live in fear of making mistakes because God's going to punish me. God's already punished Jesus. There's no punishment left for me. There's no punishment left. I will never be judged for my sin, ever, because Jesus was completely judged for my sin. I'm forgiven. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. When you believe that, you will live your life. You will be the trapeziartist living in freedom, enjoying your Christian life. See, the truth is God is not fair. And again, this is why it's offensive. Our God is unfair. And can I be honest with you? Thank God He's unfair. Because if God was fair, if, I, if, 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 I, if God was fair and I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell forever. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve Jesus dying for me on a cross. If you look at my past, if you look at my sin, if you look at the mistakes that I've made, there's nothing I've ever done in my life to deserve to even be standing here today. So the truth is, I thank God he's not fair. I thank God he didn't give me what I deserve. I thank God he wasn't fair with me. I love the fact that God is unfair with mercy. That God will pay the person who works an hour the same as the person that works all day, because that was me. That was me. And it might be a little offensive, but I love his mercy. Mercy.